Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural sparks of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. So, today our uh, little Aussie Kiwi season continues with a really fun conversation. Uh, I spoke to Australian rapper, singer, and songwriter All Day, who joined me to talk about his spark, the film Home Alone as I'm sure you can imagine, with that subject matter. This is a light and entertaining chat, if you ask me. So let's dive right into it. Quick all-day facts. All-day is the stage name of Australian rapper, singer, and songwriter Tom Gaynor. All-day began his career by releasing free mixtapes online and quickly amassed a loyal following. He has since released four studio albums, including his most recent effort, Drinking With My Smoking Friends, which was released earlier this year. Quick Home Alone facts. Home Alone is a 1990 comedy film written by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. It stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, and Catherine O'Hara. Macaulay Culkin plays a boy who defends his Chicago home from burglars after his family accidentally leaves him behind on their vacation to Paris. Home Alone grossed over $476 million worldwide, becoming the highest-grossing live-action comedy until the release of The Hangover Part 2 in 2011. Uh, it also made Macaulay Culkin a child star. And there you have it. Let's get to the main event, shall we? Here comes my chat with All Day about Home Alone. The uh, standard first question, do you remember seeing this movie for the first time? Do I remember seeing it for the first time? I think so, yeah. I think, um, I mean, I was probably, no, in fact, I don't remember the exact day because it was one that has been out since I was alive, since before I was alive. And, mm. uh, you know, so it was just one of those ones that I grew up around. I had the video, the VHS, and... You know, back before we had access to just infinite movies and television, we used to just watch the VHSs or the DVDs we had in the house. 
a zillion times. Mm-hmm. And so those things really became ingrained in your head. And this this one is uh, uh, the most deeply ingrained in my head. Yeah, I, I I think about that a lot. Like the experience of going to like a, a video store and not having what you want to see and just having to wait until it was available again and how like that just doesn't exist anymore. Like everything is available whenever you want it and nobody's going to stop you. But like, I remember when I was little, you know, being disappointed, like, you know, the day that something came out really wanting to see it and having to like be put on a wait list to be able to see it and how much that sucked. So, yeah, but also, yeah. And then imagine the focus that you watch that movie with Mm. because you put, you put your name on the wait list. You went a second time to the, you know, video store, you come back home, you've got it, you put it in, you're like, here we go, you know, and like, you know, you're, you're, now you're really watching the movie, you know, like, uh, unbroken attention. And so, I mean, like, it's not like, I think about this kind of stuff a lot, because it also is relevant to music, because the way that we uh, listen to music has changed. But then the the next thought that I arrive at is, well, the old way of listening to music or the old way of watching movies, it's not like it was some ancient thing either. It was only 100 years old or, or 70 years old anyway. Right. So, like, the fact that these uh, mediums are, are changing is, like, shouldn't be that much of a surprise. Yeah. And in some ways, I guess, like, music could always be something that people like put on in the background when they were having a party or like, you know, it was, it was something that was like either you were really engaged with it and really paying attention or it was like something to enhance whatever you were doing. And with movies, Mm. it used to be like, nobody had smartphones. Nobody had the internet. Well, there weren't as many distractions and the vast majority of people would just sit and watch things straight through. And now it's like having that kind of attention is so rare it has to be something that's like really grabs you to to really hold on to your attention the, the entire time you're watching it yeah i think i've noticed with film they in intros on as long like you know you can watch a, fi- a film from like you know 20 30 years ago and they would do a five minute intro credits <laughs> before and there's any they even sometimes you know they're panning down from the sky or whatever right and you know through a neighborhood before they even show a person it's like five six minutes um i guess it's because they were operating you know with your unbroken attention and now it's like they have to show uh you know some sort of crime happening within the first 10 seconds or we're going to turn it off right somebody's going to get blown up um yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um and in a way like my memory of this movie i just rewatched it and to me it was like i remember it being this kind of cartoony like non-stop prank 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 like you know the all the booby traps were like in my mind were the the majority of the movie and that's like 10 minutes at the end and the rest of it, Mm. there is so much set up. And even, even with this, like the pacing is so different, like all of the kind of silly, crazy stuff. I think that happened more in the second one that they really leaned into that stuff. But, um, Mm. with this one, it's like all of the kind of family stuff and really having this kid, like adjusting to, you know, at first really thinking it's cool that he's by himself and then getting kind of freaked out and then being sad and like missing his family and whatever. But like all of that kind of 
emotional arc before you get to the kind of Tom and Jerry stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just found that interesting too, that I don't know if that kind of pacing would be tolerated by children today. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I don't know. But, um, I think that's a very good point, um, about the movie is the, the meat and potatoes of the movie is actually the emotion Mm -hmm. and this, and the Christmas and the, the family. But, and then the second point is, he is also being, although he's only doing the violent pranks at the very end and the violent pranks are fantastic. Um, you know, the nails through the feet and all that kind of stuff, um, which is just like completely brutal. Um, I don't know if that's allowed either these days, but, um, but also he is being mischievous from the start. That's true. Yeah. You know, he's eating too much pizza very Mm -hmm. early on. Um, so although that's, that's not a prank, he is. Uh, he eats a lot of pizza, and uh, you know he's already being naughty at the start. Yeah, and also like that the bit in the supermarket when the uh, woman at the till is like, "Who are, are you with your parents?" And he's like, "Ma'am, I'm eight years old. <laughs> of course, I'm with my family." <laughs> you know. So, um, so you rewatched this recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just. Oh, uh, I love. I knew that because you said when I was listening to the Connor Oberst one, you said, oh, yeah, I went back over and watched an episode or tried to watch an episode. So I thought, you know what? That's why I'm going to choose Home Alone because I'm going to make this fully grown man watch Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least that is like it's on Disney Plus here. So it's like fully easy, Accessible. you know, really easy access. Yeah. Sometimes with uh, these interviews, people choose things and it's like something out of print. Um, but uh, yeah, the, that idea, like also um, that, that the feeling of like having it be really special that you could rent a movie or that you could like, if, I don't know if you ever like bought movies when you were a kid. I don't think I did at all. I think we just rented them. Um, Very seldom. Yeah. Unless they're in the discount bin at Blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just like, uh, you know, we'd, we'd rent them and then watch them for as long as we had them and then take them back and, you know, we get them again or like sometimes my family would get them from the library as well. But, um, yeah, Mm. just having it be like, uh, an event and feel like something that was like, Oh my God, we're only, we have it for just this like little chunk of time and we have to really enjoy every single second of it. Um, and I don't know if you get that kind of passion from people anymore. Oh yeah. I mean like, there's just, it's just not possible. And I mean, that's something that I almost think there would be a space and that maybe someone will listen to this and create it for a, almost like a simulation of that kind of experience. <laughs> like, I feel like people will eventually grab it. I mean, that's what the going to like the cinema would be, but mm-hmm. like going to a video shop, walking around and God, I would spend a long time in the video shop. Mm-hmm. Like I would do 45 minutes in the video shop. Yeah. Um, because it was a nice experience. There was lollies. There was nice lighting. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like I feel like people will want that again yeah. um, in the future. Yeah, and like it, it was usually a weekend for me too. So it was that very like excited, like beginning of the weekend feeling where you're like have all these plans of what you're gonna do. And my parents, but especially my dad, was very indulgent and like you know would go to the video store and he'd let me like pick out a few different things and really go wild. So um, it Mm. felt like this very exciting thing. I can remember like looking in the section, uh, you know, like either in the kids section or whatever 
genre I was into at that particular time. And like knowing that I'd seen everything, but still like really scouring and trying to find <laughs> the one thing that I hadn't seen before. Um, so yeah, that kind of stuff. I, I mean, I get, I, I used to get the same feeling from record stores too, that, um, it was just this, it, it, it's a, it's also a different experience because it's not an algorithm, like trying to tell you what it thinks you might like. It's you get having access to everything in the store and just being able to say, Hmm, maybe I'm want to try something else today. And just like wandering around and bumping into things instead of like having people feed you the, the thing that they want to sell you at that time. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess the criticism of the algorithm could be they base what they show you on what you've liked before or what other people who like what you like, like, Mm -hmm. but what that can't necessarily factor in is maybe you would like something that you have never seen, or maybe you would like something that is just so far from that. And that's how you grow as a person. You know, you see something you've never seen and you experience something different, but to flip it on its head, I mean, the, all I would do when I was a kid going into like the, the CD shop, was I would just go into the rap section and just look at and pick any song that had that looked like, you know, I was just pick, going through the rap section and picking anyone and just taking it home. And you know, I'd, I'd buy it blind, not hearing it. And then most 88% of the time, it was just a rubbish single or a rubbish album. And I just yeah. blown all my money. So sometimes the algorithm's good. Yeah, that's true. I used to spend a lot of time in uh, like used record stores and I like worked in restaurants and stuff when I was a teenager and I'd take all my tip money and like, I'd have this big wad of cash from all the cash tips that I'd gotten and like spend it all on used CDs. And I would try things and just be like, that one's got a good cover or that one's got the title of that album is really cool. And then take it home and it would just be a piece of shit. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta, I guess, uh, take the rough with the smooth with that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah. And I guess like now it's not as much of a, financial outlay you can take more risks and um not have to worry about like not being able to pay your rent um yeah but i also know people who sample like hip-hop you know and mm. sample a lot of old soul and funk or whatever a lot of the time they base what they choose to sample on just like what the cover looks like yeah. i mean like, oh that looks kind of that looks like it's funky i'll just buy that <laughs> yeah yeah um uh getting back to the uh the prank prank of it all um the like the real um violent kind of comedy stuff i just read some kind of like you know listicle thing like 15 facts you didn't know about home alone and one of them they linked to an article where like this is the height of hard-hitting journalism they got a doctor to review all of the pranks and decide if somebody could have survived any of them and it was like, <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> the doctor i don't have to be a doctor i can tell you that that's not you can't live through that right like getting hit in the face with an iron all that kind of stuff it's like yeah i think i think we've all got a pretty good handle on uh, that it's like not real not uh yeah not that, i mean we're in a pandemic I think the doctor could be doing more useful things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe they need a little uh, light relief from all of the, the shit they've been going through. But um, it, it, yeah, I mean, like the guy steps on a nail uh, coming up the stairs. This is when uh, 
which one is it? Marv, he's going up through the basement and there's a nail. He steps right through a nail and sort of, you know, he's it hurts him a lot, but it, it for me that would end the day, you know? Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it ends his, it, it, three minutes later, he's still trying to enter the house. Yeah. Yeah, I like. I, I think this is not a movie that you can that hold, holds up to uh, heavy scrutiny. It's like uh, <laughs> the idea. I was thinking again. I was like, if they went to the airport and they had enough plane tickets for their entire family, and there was one extra one, wouldn't they have noticed when they tried to like go through security that they had an extra plane ticket? But again, mm. I don't think this is a movie that you should uh, think that that heavily about. <laughs> True. I mean, I always think, oh, it was the 90s. Like, maybe, you know, think plain security was a bit more chill. Right. And it's just, like, ri- ri- very, very rich people who just, you know, can't keep track of anything, even if it's their own children. Exactly. Um, I, uh, one thing about this movie is when I first went to uh, Chicago O'Hare Airport, coming through on, like, a tour, um, it just excited me because mm. I <laughs> – I, I had just real you know, the arching kind of ceilings and all the flags and I was like, Oh, I know what this is. This is the home alone airport. Yeah. Um <laughs> So that's like a that was a, that was probably one of the more special, you know, times being in America. Yeah. I can't I haven't been to O'Hare in a really long time, but I remember feeling like it was like not as bad as LAX in terms of just like the kind of drudgery of going through a big airport, but definitely feeling like it was a, a big airport that took a long time to get through. It's huge yeah. and it is so dated. Like it's like a time machine. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I, I that's why I really love it. Also, I associate it with Home Alone, but that's got to be one of the best airports in America. And uh, and then obviously Denver, because they have the, uh, the big horse. Are you familiar with the Denver airport? Ah. Uh. I have I have been there a couple of times, but it was a very very long time ago. That was like when I was a teenager. Um, so something something to Google. There's a massive horse statue outside of Denver Airport. It's like black or something, and its eyes glow red. <laughs> it's like really satanic, amazing <laughs> stuff. Ugh, <laughs> makes you wonder who was responsible <laughs> for that idea and who was responsible for uh, rubber stamping it and saying that they were going to go through with that. I'm assuming that yeah. would cost a lot of money too, um, but okay. Yeah, Satanist bureaucrat. Yeah. Um, also, in my uh, one of my fun fact lists, they were talking about filming, or no, this was in, with an interview with one of the kids who played uh, one of the one of Kevin's siblings. Um, they were talking about the days that they were filming in O'Hare, and that they had so many extras, and it's like, you know. 10 second shot of them running through the airport and it took like five days to film it because they kept (gasps) tripping over each other and they were like saying don't run as fast as you can just like run to try and make it look like you're running as fast as you can but don't run and you know like confusing people and so people would start running as fast as they could and then fall all over each other and have to do it again but so many so so much effort for nothing (laughs) but i mean the shot looks good and that sticks in your head it's true yeah, and uh, what else have we got on this list? Do you remember anything else? Oh, I think I can. Uh, I think I've got it right here. I can pull it up for you. Uh, Robert De Niro was offered one of the burglar roles. What? Holy moly! Yeah, this uh, is before he started saying yes to everything. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when he still had some kind of standards. I mean, Joe Pesci had just, uh, you know, I think this was, this was around the time of um, like Goodfellas and stuff. So maybe he was at his critical peak. Yeah, maybe he just wanted to uh, make a little money. Um, mm. But yeah, there's, you know, a lot of just very basic, not very interesting stuff about like the price of the house that they used to film it in, um, which is, I don't really, it looks like a really nice neighborhood. It does. Yeah. I guess it's like suburban Chicago. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah. Also like this, when this movie came out, it made so much more, you know, it was like the third highest grossing movie of all time at the time. And, the budget was like $18 million and it made $450 million or something like that. So it was like, it had made wow. a huge amount of money. And also the standard at that time was to release movies to rent first and then you could buy them down the road and they changed mm-hmm. that. So it actually was available to buy first. So they made tons and tons of money from people buying it. And then that kind of started people being able to just, it forced people to buy it because they really wanted to, you know, kids would really want to see it immediately and it wasn't available to rent until later on. And that kind of wow. stuff has lasted, you know, with, with um, things being released on demand that it's like they'll try to get you to quote unquote buy it for $30 instead of waiting, you know, six weeks and renting it. Um, yeah. But when the hype is, when the hype is up, when everyone's talking about it. Yeah. But in that way, it was like part of slowly making these changes to the way people consume stuff, um, mm. that it was like the first one that they really forced people to <laughs> spend shitloads of money. And then it tanked the rentals on it because everybody already owned it or had seen it a million times at their friend's house or whatever. So nobody really cared about renting it when it became available. Yeah, but everyone had the copy. I mean, I had a copy. Yeah. And you probably did in your house. I don't know if we did. I like, I, I can't remember. I was, I was, um, definitely, uh, alive when this came out. So I, uh, oh, okay. you know, I, um, well, you, you're looking after your skin, Adam. <laughs> thank you very much. Yes. Drop the uh, skincare routine. As yes. They say. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll never reveal my secrets. <laughs> if I tell you, I'll have to kill you. Um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, but I, I can remember Like I was, um, maybe just slightly too old to be uh the target target market for for this movie um yeah that's a shame yeah but you know i mean i i i appreciate it did you get any macaulay culkin like kind of because what were the macaulay culkins before this uncle buck Buck. Mm -hmm. oh that's that's a kind of a gritty movie yeah and it's like did did you ever watch any like other john hughes movies like the ones that he directed i did yeah because I, I got a bit obsessed with home alone so mm. you know he puts he puts a certain warmth into his films yeah and this was like a kind of a turning point because he had never really made movies that were this explicitly for kids before like it always had some kind of you know i mean Un- uncle buck was pretty family friendly but it wasn't like this where it turned into this kind of cartoony like really trying to get mm. kids to be engaged with it. Um, and mm. he started making movies that were a little bit 
more aimed at kids after this, I think. Yeah, once he made ten gazillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. what are the other John Hughes one? Is trains, planes, and automobiles? Is that John Hughes? Is it? Uh, I think so. Let's find that out. That one is. All it's right certainly yep. got a similar feeling. Yeah, wrote, he wrote and directed that one, and that's absolutely amazing. Um, Isn't it? But then, you know, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and 16 Candles in the Breakfast Club and whatever. And he wrote a lot of movies, like all the National Lampoon's vac- Vacation and uh, Christmas Vacation and European Vacation. He wrote all those. And um, Wow. Uh he wrote and directed weird science and some other stuff. But this was like, I think this was a, a time when he really started leaning into kind of family friendly stuff. And he wrote this script in like 10 days or something. There's this famous story of him, like thinking about uh, worrying about forgetting <laughs> one of his kids and like thinking what would happen if his 10 year old son was left home alone. And that kind of, wow, you know, gave. he thought that would happen. <laughs> I think I think it was like one of these things. I mean, I'm not a parent. I don't know. I don't know if parents actually think about things like this. But like, what is the worst thing that could happen if we were like going on holiday and we left something at home? Oh, one of the kids, um, and kind of having that idea in his mind and feeling like um, he wanted. You know, that was a good premise for a movie, and then he ended up making millions, wow. and, millions and millions of dollars off of it. So. I love that idea of, you know, sitting around thinking my son would be able to out-prank burglars. I mean, that's a lot of faith. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe he, I mean, like, I think for me being a kid watching it, the cool thing was I felt that that would be a possibility for me, you know? Mm. Um, I almost looked at it as research. <laughs> I was sort of like, okay. So if you know if I'm home alone and I you know there's burgers burgers burglars creeping around outside, um, you know maybe I could do something similar. And um, I guess it gave me a sense of like security. Yeah, I guess the hardest part of that equation is trying to get yourself to be forgotten. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> you have to like make a a dummy like a mannequin or something and put it in the car and try to convince people that it's you. Yeah, or, or like the hardest thing for me would be my family actually going on a holiday, which never happened. So it was very, it was very different. But uh, yeah, you know, that's the magic of cinema. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess that that was like another that kind of fantasy element at the beginning, like the idea of what a kid would do if they had this giant house to themselves and like you know, kind of running riot and sledding down the stairs and uh, eating ice cream, right? Watch, watching like uh you know naughty movies or whatever right yeah yeah <laughs> yeah like uh definitely the um ultimate ultimate childhood fantasy i think definitely which is amazing that he that john hughes got into the i guess he had a young kid at the time yeah. he, he got deep into a, a child's mind to like you know kids want to eat ice cream they want to watch movies with guns in them they want to mm. like have run of the house they want to have you know, they want to be able to go to the shops by themselves. They want to have like dollar bills, like he stole from his brother. Tarantulas. Mm-hmm. His brother had a tarantula in the movie. You know, tarantulas are very like them the most exciting thing in the world to like an eight year old mind. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like we're always thinking about tarantulas, and like I haven't thought about tarantulas at all in my adulthood. Yeah, yeah. But, but just, as a kid, you think of tarantulas every day. Right. Like thinking that it's the coolest possible pet. 
something that's kind yeah. of a bit a bit scary to some people and something that makes you feel like kind of a badass when you're seven years old whatever they're just relevant they're relevant when you're a kid and there's so many things that i saw this on twitter actually i forget what the thing was but it was like something like tarantulas like you when you're growing up you think like tarantulas are going to be super relevant but they're just not a thing in your adult life you know no doesn't pan out so if you <laughs> you know if there are any seven or eight year olds listening like just think of tarantulas as something that you're you're, you're gonna like for now but not gonna matter I wonder how many seven eight-year-olds are listening um i i would imagine zero <laughs> i kind of hope zero but um, uh yeah i don't know all all ages are welcome here <laughs> yeah i'll um, keep that in mind yes uh i feel like the uh that's a <laughs> a funny place to stop <laughs> um this has oh. been so much fun <laughs> this was like uh yeah this is this is a a fun a fun choice um so. yeah i'm glad we didn't take it too seriously and we got to just like have a bit of a reminisce both of us yeah definitely um well thank you so much um this was this was really great thank you adam i think your podcast is uh very very cool and uh thank you yeah okay i think i'll keep listening great awesome all right. All right. Take care. Have a good one. You too. Bye. That was so much fun. What a lovely guy. Thanks again to Tom for chatting with me. All Day's latest album, Drinking With My Smoking Friends, is out now. Okay. My artistic spark of the day is more of a location than a specific piece of work. That's cheating, right? Well, I make the rules around here and I can break them. Anyway, the uh, plinth on the spur on the High Line is incredible. Uh, if that doesn't mean anything to you. The High Line is a park in Manhattan made from an old train line, and it's one of the most popular tourist attractions here. The Spur is the newest extension of the High Line, and it's a, a little nub that juts out over 10th Avenue. And the Plinth is uh, a plinth. And in case you don't know what that is, it's a heavy base that supports uh, a sculpture or a statue. This plinth supports a collection of sculptures that are displayed on a rotating 18-month basis. And the Highline stole that idea from London, where the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square has hosted sculptural works for well over 20 years. Uh, anyway, the New York version is lovely, and some great art is displayed there. It's always overrun with tourists, but outside of that, it's a really wonderful spot. So um, check it out if you're in New York. And that's all I've got. I'll be back with the exciting conclusion to the Aussie Kiwi miniseries. But seriously, trust me, you don't want to miss this one. But uh, until next time, bye! Hey there, Robo fans and Dino fans. Do you like science fiction? Do you like movies about robots and dinosaurs? Do you like podcasts that explore sci-fi philosophy through a fun and positive lens? Then you are going to love Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Every week, your host, Louis G, invites a guest onto the show to talk about one of their favorite sci-fi movies. It's a Robocast. It's a Dinocast. It's a battle for ultimate awesomeness in science fiction pop culture. Subscribe to Robots vs. Dinosaurs on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Robos B Dinos or Twitter 
at versus robots. That is at vs robots. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's nyx.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.